0: You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, a podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. And now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. Hello, everyone. I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. And welcome to Language Nerds to Earth. We're on episode 42. Yes, and this
1: week we are bringing you some information, tips, and our own personal stories about traveling with diet restrictions.
0: Yeah, this episode is going to be very Rachel-focused because Rachel is a vegetarian. I also have some stories about diet restrictions, but Rachel is kind of the expert, so we're going to let her do a lot of the talking. So
1: what we're going to talk about is basically just a quick overview of who this might affect or... Be important for some general guidelines and tips and then we'll share some of our own experiences
0: yeah so before we get into it we have an email from a listener alina and she had a comment on our whistling episode
1: she had a fun fact about whistling in russian and ukrainian culture so She says, It's considered rude to whistle inside someone's home and often will get you shushed or kicked out by the resident or owner of the dwelling. The superstition is that you are whistling the money away from that household and into your own pocket. (laughs) Perhaps the phrase doesn't translate well, but basically it's like the whistler is wishing harm on the financial status of the household while hoping to perhaps prosper themselves. (laughs) It has become more of a joke these days, although many still get upset at this behavior and have the better safe than sorry mentality. P.S. I tend to stop people from whistling in my home too, just in case.
0: (laughs) That is so cool. I really like that. Yes. It's so interesting. It's kind of like in our cultural superstitions episode, how Gary said in Scotland, his mom doesn't let people put new shoes on the table.
1: Oh, yeah, I had forgotten about that one.
0: Yeah, and he says, you know, of course it's like a silly superstition, but I still wouldn't let somebody put new shoes on the table. I would take them off immediately if I saw that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and that's like, do I really believe that knock on wood works? No, but I still do it, just in case.
0: Yes, definitely, I always knock on wood, just in case, you never know. You never know. (laughs) So it's very similar. Thank you so much, Alina. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah. We love to hear your takes on things. Yes. It's so cool. And
0: any other information that you have to... We have some really interesting language news about the way children respond to our words. Yeah. I thought
1: this was odd. It's a very small linguistical difference that actually has an impact on the way that children behaved.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So this is from The Independent, and some researchers designed experiments in which participants from four to five years old were asked to either be helpers or to help. So here, just to make sure you understand the difference, helper in this case, we're asking them to be helpers as in like an identity or to help as a verb. Mm -hmm. And it's a very subtle difference, but... It had an impact on what the children did in the experiment.
1: Yeah, so basically, those who were asked to be helpers were more likely to be stopped by small setbacks. So, like, if a box spilled or something like that, they were less likely to continue than those who were asked to help.
0: Mm-hmm. Helpers, they stopped sooner, like you said, and they also helped less in situations that were more challenging and that didn't benefit themselves. But when students were asked to help, they were just as likely to help in a situation that would benefit a researcher as in a situation that would benefit themselves. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That was really surprising.
1: It's a really cool blend between psychology and linguistic choices that seem very subtle and seem like they would be insignificant.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think about the implications that this might have on adults as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, in my teacher education program, we've learned about a growth versus a fixed mindset. So people who are in a fixed mindset, they have an idea that they have a certain number of abilities, and then outside of those abilities or interests, like, they can't do anything. Mm. And then a growth mindset is one that's more open to growing. And students who are told, hey, you did really well on this. You must be very smart, are less likely to try things that challenge them Mm. than students who say, hey, you did really well at this. You must have tried really hard those students are more likely to accept more challenges.
1: Oh, that's interesting. And that is kind of the same here. Like, helper is more of an identity, like smart is an identity, mm-hmm. whereas trying hard is an action, and so is helping.
0: Yeah. Huh. Exactly. Yeah. That's cool. Huh. Yeah. I feel the same way a little bit about language learning, you know? How so? so my Spanish and my German are pretty good. I'm learning Chinese. And I've learned some Korean before. And people have said, wow, you must be really good at learning a language. That just might, must be your thing. And maybe it is my thing, but that doesn't mean that like I just expect it to fall on me, to happen to me, you know? Right. Like, I put a lot of work into learning a language. And I don't really think of myself as like, being necessarily good at it, I just think of myself as interested in it, and as a result, I spend a lot of time with it, and I'm rewarded by spending a lot of time with it with improved language skills, and it's like a a feedback loop. Oh. Like, I try harder, I get rewarded, and I'm motivated to continue working at it, you know?
1: Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's not like your identity that, oh, I'm good at languages, so I don't have to work. <laughs>
0: Right, exactly.
1: Can you think of it in a way that applies to your life? Well, uh, kind of a similar thing. People often say, like, oh, you're a good singer. Or, for example, I can't sing. I could never sing opera or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, wow, how can you do that? Because I worked really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not that I just woke, I was born <laughs> singing opera, Right, Like, it was many years of work, and I don't consider that I'm a good singer, therefore I can sing opera, you know? Exactly. There are lots of people who are great singers who can't. Mm. It's a skill that you have to hone. Yeah,
0: that's so true. So, yeah, there's a lot of takeaways from this. But, yeah, so the research in this study shows how talking to children about actions that they take can encourage more persistence following setbacks as opposed to talking to children about identities that they can take on.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like gender differences telling a girl, oh, you're so pretty. And it's just something that's natural about you. Mm hmm. And valuing that. And
1: whereas a boy might be valued for being smart.
0: Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, that seems to be related because it causes all these internal identities and internal drives that yeah. are different uh, by gender yes huh very interesting it's a really interesting article that of course we'll link up as always
0: yes definitely and if you want to learn more about it you can go to our show notes at language nerds under podcast click on the podcast tab and we're in episode number 42 And there we'll have the link to the language news for the week. Yeah. So So, it's time to talk about traveling with diet restrictions.
1: Yeah. So I think this is affecting people more and more. Yeah. Either people are making choices to eat a certain way or there are lots of intolerances or allergies And it seems that there are lots more than there used to be in the past.
0: Yeah. I think there are a lot of allergies and intolerances and people are making decisions about what they take in that Mm -hmm. maybe might not have been an, an option in the past. Definitely. That's great, too.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about some people that need to think about their diet while they're traveling. Yeah. So diabetics. Oof. We're not going to talk too much about diabetics, probably, because mostly if you're diabetic, you already know what to look out for, but we will give some general tips that might be useful. Mm -hmm. So obviously they have to be more conscious of what they're taking in and checking their levels and stuff.
0: So Yeah. Also, of course, vegetarians, vegans, pescatarians, I think it's, I mean, you would know, but Sometimes I think if I were a vegetarian or a vegan, it would be really difficult to make it in some parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I wonder, like, how did you handle being in Korea? Yeah. That is something that I will definitely talk about later. Yeah. Like earlier, Rachel and I were talking about how she went to a barbecue over the the weekend. And I was like, what did you eat? And she was like, oh, I had a veggie burger. and I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you can do that in non-Asian countries. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I think every day there are more vegetarians and vegans and pescatarians. A lot of times people making a choice for environmental reasons or health reasons or for ethical reasons as well. I read something recently that almost like 20, I can't remember the number, but it was surprisingly high of the percentage of people in the UK who were vegan. It was something like 7% or something.
0: There's definitely a growing trend. I know that there are a lot of people in Germany who are becoming vegetarian and vegan, which is, is, yeah, not very stereotypical for German cuisine. German cuisine is supposed to be like meat and potatoes, but... It makes sense, obviously, to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah. am so ready for lab meat to be- go on the market.
1: <laughs> <sighs> yeah, so this is another one. Another group of people, people with food allergies or intolerances. So people who maybe have problems with dairy, allergies to nuts or gluten, fruits,
0: and there are lots that I... Could name but mm-hmm. yeah I always feel really sorry for people who are allergic to different kinds of fruits like mm-hmm. nature's candy had to be your your weakness yeah <laughs> it's a shame uh, another one obviously people with religious diet restrictions such as people who follow a kosher or a halal diet
1: mm-hmm. a lot
0: of Hindus are Hindus and Buddhists are often vegan as well
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and often it has to do with the treatment of the animal as well so that can be a little bit trickier if you see something on a menu you don't know if it follows the right guidelines yeah as well as people who adhere to some kind of a diet like paleo or ketogenic low carb Mm -hmm. there are so many trendy diets at the moment I don't even know all of them but these are a lot of people who might be affected by traveling, trying to cater to their specific dietary needs. Mm
0: -hmm. So let's get into these tips that mostly Rachel put together for us, it's a very comprehensive list. Thank you. So, uh, first, if your restrictions are a choice, how willing are you to be flexible? So for example, if you're usually paleo, do you want to be as strict as usual, or if you're vegan? Would you be willing to have something with honey or dairy or eggs? And if you don't want to give in, that's totally fine. Just know that you're going to have to work a little harder and plan ahead. And you might not be able to try out the local cuisine in that case.
1: Yeah, and this is definitely something that I've experienced. As a vegetarian, I am not flexible Yeah, 99% of the time. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit more later, but it's not like when I'm traveling, I'm like, Oh, I'll just have a hamburger or something. But some people, if you're, maybe you're a vegetarian for health reasons or something like that, you might be willing to eat meat while you're traveling. And so it's just something you have to ask yourself, I think.
0: Yeah. It's a personal choice. Definitely.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I had a friend in Korea who she was vegetarian, and then she just started eating fish, because the options for strictly veggies and non-meat products were so incredibly limited, and she wasn't able to experience the local cuisine at all.
1: Yeah, totally. If she
0: didn't like, decide she was going to have oyster sauce in her kimchi. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you may have to be a little flexible if it's not some kind of an allergy or something, And say, like, you might not always know what is in something. Mm -hmm. And that's just something that you kind of have to accept or you have to plan very diligently to avoid. Yeah. So another thing that I like to do is to research the cuisine of where I'm traveling to. There are times when I've done it and times when I haven't, and it's been far better when I've done it. So looking up typical dishes and what's in them what can I eat and what can I definitely not eat? So this would be helpful as well. If you have some kind of an allergy, you definitely would want to check what are the typical ingredients of the dishes and is it something that I have a problem with?
0: Yeah, I think that's really good advice, especially check the way they're traditionally prepared. Definitely makes sense to me, especially if there's a lot of fats in it. Maybe it's made with lard mm-hmm. or even if it's dish that's supposed to be mostly vegetables yeah.
1: yeah and a lot of stuff like in the south of the US like stuff is made with bacon fat or something so you're like oh green beans I could eat that and then they're like it doesn't have the little star or something that means it's vegetarian and I'm like what, what does this have oh it's we cook it with bacon fat and I'm like of course you do <laughs> I guess I'll have the mashed potatoes <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a good thing you eat butter. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, another thing I thought is, like, baklava, if you have a nut allergy, you wouldn't be able to Mm -hmm. eat most of that. Ugh. Which is a shame. I'm so
0: sorry. I know I love baklava so much. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I like to kind of, like, make a list of dishes that either are always vegetarian or can be, and then... If I'm in a restaurant that doesn't have any kind of translation, then I can look at the menu and sort of see some stuff that I could eat. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: As well as, like, make a list on, like, a sheet of paper that you can carry around with you of words of things that you don't eat, like nuts or tomatoes or something like that. Or you can also write phrases in the language of the place that you are. Like, I'm a vegetarian, or I'm allergic to tomatoes, and I will die if I eat them. Yeah. (laughs) Or does this have pork, if you don't eat pork? Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. One thing I was reading by a woman who's a raw vegan online, she's done a lot of traveling, and she said, you know, talk to the server, but if you can, talk to the chef. Mm -hmm. It's... Little extreme, and there probably aren't a lot of situations where you can have access to the chef of a restaurant. Yeah. But in some places, it's an option. So it never hurts to ask.
1: Yeah, and I would guess with something like raw vegan, that is something that you would probably need more of a chef's knowledge.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. But like, if there's nuts in something and they're very small, and mm-hmm. if a server doesn't have a lot of experience, you don't know how long that server has been working at that restaurant. So
1: mm-hmm. that's why I would, <laughs> I might add that if I, I will die if I eat them, just because then yeah. they might check, you know. <laughs> yeah, or I'm highly allergic to something. You know. Right. Yeah.
0: Uh Okay, I'll be back. I'll go check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So another tip we have is look online ahead of time for restaurants that cater to your needs. Check out their locations and menu and prices and even pick a meal to eat there beforehand. Thank goodness we live in the age of information. So I'm mm-hmm. pretty much anywhere you go, you can find somebody who's... Been to that place with your dietary restrictions.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think this is especially relevant for halal, vegetarian, vegan, kosher, maybe, Mm -hmm. because those are communities that tend to have restaurants for, like, I don't know, if you have a celery allergy, like, there's probably not going to be a restaurant for that. (laughs) But. I mean, there might be a paleo restaurant depending on where you go. I don't know. Yeah. If it's very trendy.
0: Not in Asia. <laughs>
1: yeah. I haven't seen them here either, but maybe if it's yeah. a very trendy place or something where people eat a lot of paleo. Or, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, right. So, yeah. <sighs> but there are often halal restaurants or vegan restaurants where you can be sure that you're safe.
0: Exactly. Actually, there are a lot of halal restaurants in Shenzhen. Really? Yeah. There's a Muslim minority, the Uyghur population from the east, okay, the eastern part of China, and a lot of them migrate to Shenzhen. And um, I mean, it's not on every corner, but it's they have really good food, mm-hmm. and you can recognize them by their little halal symbol, and um, it's like some of the best food in Shenzhen.
1: Okay. That's cool. In Madrid, there are quite a few as well. There's... Oh, that's cool. There are a lot of um, Pakistani immigrants. Ah. And so they have halal restaurants
0: in a lot of places. I would think, like, also Northern Africa. Yeah, true, as well. That's cool.
1: Yeah. So another thing you might consider is looking for markets or grocery stores in the locations that you're going. And that can be kind of your last resort. Yeah. You can also buy stuff to prepare at your Airbnb if you have a place to cook or something like that.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I've done that, and it's a really cheap way to travel as well. So it can be a good option. Definitely.
0: Actually, whenever I go to a new place, the grocery store is, like, one of the first places that I want to check out just to see how people eat differently from what I'm used to.
1: Yeah, totally. It's always different, isn't
0: it? Yeah, there are always, like, things that are really cheap that you would never think to buy in other places that are, like, super commonplace. hmm Or, like, very weird snacks. Yeah. Uh...
1: <laughs> yeah, there's one in Spain. Like, you know, Lay's chips always have different flavors depending on the country. Yeah. And in Spain they have like jamon, which sounds disgusting to me, like ham, Spanish ham. Uh, yeah. And uh, my mom bought some while she was here that she didn't know what they were. She just saw. <laughs> oh, no. She just, she liked them, but she just saw the <laughs> olives on the cover. And she bought them, and then I tried some, and I was like, ugh, what are these? And she was like, oh, I really liked <laughs> them. And I was like, I looked at the bag, and they were olive and sardine, and I was like, Ugh. or no, anchovy.
0: Oh. I was like,
1: that's disgusting.
0: Sounds extra salty. I mean chips in general are already so salty. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the and to add the two saltiest foods.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's really weird. But it's very they're very Spanish things like anchovies and yeah. olives. True. Actually I'm I'm not really into a lot of snacks here in Asia, but Seth, my husband, has found two snacks here that he like he, st- he starts eating them and then he can't stop so <laughs> one is they're like shrimp crackers but they're in the shape of french fries okay they're like shrimp flavored they're very popular in asia yeah they they don't do much for me. They're, I find them a little bland, but they're, I think it's like the subtle flavor that keeps you going. It's <laughs> like eating air. Kind of like Cheeto texture. Uh-huh. And then the other thing he eats a lot, which I've never seen outside of Asia as well, is like, they're called broad beans. Don't know what that is. They're in the shape of like a kidney bean. Okay. And they're like fried and they're salty and brown. He's really into them too lately. Uh, but yeah, anyway, the point is, grocery stores have really interesting things in them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that was quite a tangent we
0: went on, but... Yeah.
1: It's yeah. true. <laughs>
0: <sighs> um, another thing, especially for people who have had bad experiences in the past, I remember, it. Rachel, one of your stories that you've told in our food episode was about how, like, you would go somewhere with people and they would be like, we're going to go to this restaurant. And you'd be like, I can't eat anything there. And they were like, well, you can have a salad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's It's like a really boring salad. <laughs> and, um, but uh, one thing that I read, a tip, on this Woman's Raw Vegan website, which we'll hook up in the show notes, is don't be afraid to BYO avocado and, like, mini seasonings so that if you do end up with the boring salad that you have to eat because you're in a place that doesn't have a lot of stuff in it, you can, like, spice up your life a little bit or bring, like, something along that you know you're going to like. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That's a good idea that I've never considered. <laughs>
0: I mean, what is the restaurant going to do? Like,
1: no, you can't eat that avocado here. Yeah. (laughs) They'll be like, you're kind of weird,
0: but whatever. (laughs) Yeah. What are we, yeah.
1: (laughs) Another thing you can do is bring snacks that either work as, like, something in between meals or maybe a pick-me-up, like... Something that works with your diet. So I think protein bars are a really good option because they make them in so many different varieties that cater to everyone. Like, yeah, true. If you're avoiding carbs, they've got those. If you're vegan, they've got those. If you can't eat too much sugar, they make those. So, and they're very easy to transport in your bag and you can pack, you know, one for every day just in case. Like, yeah. You can't really find a restaurant or something, or you had a, a meal, but it's not very nutritious, maybe.
0: Right, yeah. I'm, bars in general, if you can find them and take them with you. Mm-hmm. Lara bars for paleo people, granola bars for vegetarians or something. I mean, even better if you can make them yourself, then you know it's in them. But that's kind of hard to do when you're traveling.
1: Yeah, but that might be something that you bring with you and kind of prep a bit Mm -hmm. yeah so it's just really up to you but I've taken sometimes like protein bars just in case I can't really find I'm eating a lot of potatoes or something like that and (laughs) you know yeah that's not exactly the most nutritious thing and you after many days of eating just like potatoes and maybe a few (sighs) vegetables you don't actually feel very good So it helps to have something to supplement at least
0: protein or something else like that. And if you're visiting people and they're trying to feed you and they give you a lot of things and you feel like you don't have a choice, I think that is something where you either have the authority to lie and say, if I'm allergic to something or... Uh, you know, this is bad for my health or the doctor told me not to eat it
1: mm-hmm. or
0: or or it might not be a lie but, but don't be afraid to be firm about how you feel mm-hmm. on something. It can be really awkward. I've been in
1: that situation where I'm at somebody's house or, you know, somebody has prepared something and it turns out to be meat and it's like, uh, what do I say? <laughs> They've gone to so much effort, and it's already ready, and yeah, it's not a great situation.
0: Yeah, I feel like things are changing. Like, a lot of people will naturally ask beforehand. So another thing that can be really
1: helpful is if you're traveling with other people, uh, especially if they have different diet restrictions than you or don't have any diet restrictions, you should probably talk with them before you leave and kind of discuss your expectations or your needs because it's not a great situation to be in if you're suddenly there and you're like, oh, but I'm, uh, I don't eat pork and you're in, let's say Spain that eats a lot of pork and then, <sighs> or I can't eat in a place where they prepare pork, then that eliminates, you know, a good 90% of your options in Spain. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, dude. You are in the wrong country, actually. Yeah.
1: So, you know, talking about how you can coexist and have a good time with your travel partners, you may decide that for some meals you might go to different places If they really want to go somewhere, you can discuss that and then you can plan around it instead of feeling maybe resentful or feeling less important or something like that or like your needs don't matter or something. Yeah. And they can also help you if, you know, if somebody in your group speaks the language and you have a certain allergy, they can help you and navigate that for you a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important to keep in mind, especially like you said, it gets if you get to the point where you're on a trip and it's like, oh, by the way, I have this certain need. Mm -hmm. Nobody has a right to say that your need doesn't matter. Yeah. So make sure that it's clear ahead of time.
1: Yeah. And it also helps in this case to do some research so that can alleviate, you know, some of the when you're in a group, there's a lot of like, oh, who decides this or who's gonna look for this? If you already do some of the research, it is your responsibility if you have this restriction to be prepared. So in this case, it helps to do some research either about restaurants or about dishes that you can eat and you can give some guidance to the group because, for example, I'm a vegetarian. If people aren't used to being around vegetarians, they don't really know like what you can and can't eat or what's typical to eat, and so you
0: do have to take some of the initiative. Yeah, that's good advice. And um, if you do have a medical diet restriction, make sure, obviously, you bring everything you need. So EpiPens, lactose pills, as careful as you are, something could always get lost in translation or you could accidentally eat something you didn't realize was in a dish. So make sure that you always have your gear near you.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't bring your EpiPen and leave it in your suitcase, you know? Especially if it's a serious allergy. Like, it needs to be Mm -hmm. on your person. And if you're traveling with other people, you should maybe tell them how to work an EpiPen
0: and where it is. Yeah. I always wonder how people with peanut allergies get by in a lot of parts of the world.
1: Yeah, one of my very good friends has a very serious peanut allergy. and We haven't traveled a lot together, but we went to Switzerland with our choir, and it was more difficult, you know, because whenever we got to restaurants in the U.S., she has to ask, like, is there any cross-contamination with peanuts, and that's kind of a complicated thing. You've got to ask more, like, the chef or ask somebody, and she can't have anything that's ever touched a peanut, so it has to be everything clean, and... Yeah. So that's a conversation that's a little bit complicated to have in
0: another language. Yeah. But she spoke some German, so it helped. That's good. Anything you can do to make that easier. And also, if your restriction is medical, besides bringing everything you need, research nearby hospitals and clinics that are going to be in the area where you are, so that if you do have an allergic reaction and you need medical attention, you you know where to go.
1: Yeah, that's actually, I hadn't thought of that, but that's something that you definitely should do. Yeah super important. Yeah. Cool. So I think that's pretty much it for our tips and it's time to share some personal stories.
0: Yes. I know that you have so many more than I do that I'm looking forward to hearing (laughs) that.
1: Well, I'll start with kind of a two part comparison. So when I was in college, I went on two choir trips. One was to Russia and one was to the Balkans. And I think, you know, maybe Russia even more so, but both are, have meat-heavy cuisine. So the first one I went on was to Russia, and it's a group trip, and I don't know. I just didn't think about it, so I didn't really plan anything. (laughs) And I did not do any research, really, like I should have done. And anyway, so when I was there... I did not speak Russian apart from a few things like my name is and hello, goodbye. Thank you. Uh-huh, <laughs> like that. So I did not prepare by knowing how to ask for vegetarian dishes or by looking at any dishes that I could eat. And it was rough. <laughs> it was very difficult. I bet. Um, so there were some meals that I could find something good or something nutritious, but I ate This is actually the trip that I'm talking about, that I ate a lot of potatoes. Oh. And I really felt malnourished after about a week. And, you know, I would be hungry a lot of times because I couldn't find anything to eat. And then I'd go to a grocery store and buy some chips or something. You know, it was really not ideal. I did not prepare well. (laughs) So that was probably one of the hardest places that I've traveled As far as like finding food and as well as they use a different alphabet, which I did learn, but still it didn't help me very much.
0: Yeah, well, I'm sure that really can interfere with your enjoyment of the place as well. You know? Yeah. If you're constantly worried about what you're gonna eat, it's hard to like take in the beauty of a church if you're especially and if you're malnourished.
1: Yeah, I felt really hungry most like most of the time and kind of with low energy. So if you know that you're going to a meat heavy country and you're a vegetarian, look it up before because <laughs> that was a really stupid thing for me to not have done. Yeah,
0: you were pretty young though
1: Yeah, I was about 20 I had just turned 20 So it was maybe like One of the first times that I had Traveled, you know, by myself Even though it wasn't even by myself But we had a lot of freedom of choice For food and stuff So I really should have prepared more And the next time was two years later (sighs) And we went to the Balkans with my choir And I was like, this will not be repeated (sighs) A lot of the countries also use Cyrillic, so I knew that I needed to look up each country, what I could eat and what I couldn't, and I brought some protein bars just in case, and it was smart, much better. Good. They also eat more cheese and stuff that was easily recognizable as meat-free, but it was overall easier.
0: And the Balkans are Bulgaria, Croatia, Bosnia... Serbia yeah I still I still won't forget what you explained in our food episode about the cheese spread plate <laughs> size thing that you talked about. yeah it sounds so good.
1: And I had researched it before and I was so excited to try it and it was really easy to find that and I knew that I could eat it and it was delicious.
0: So. It lived up to your expectations.
1: It definitely did
0: <laughs> That's so cool. What about you? Well, when I lived in Korea for about the last year that I was there, I was very strict paleo, Mm -hmm. and that's when I learned about, like, not being afraid when it came to telling, like, a server what I wanted, you know? Yeah. Like, it usually, it was like, no, I don't want any rice. I mean, like, and everything in Korea comes with rice. And they thought, like, I was really, really weird for not wanting any white rice. <laughs> because I do think that people who have different ethnic backgrounds have different dietary needs. Yeah. Like, recently I found that my body responds really well to, like, a lot of fatty foods and, like, leafy vegetables. Mm-hmm. I don't really do paleo, per se, anymore, but I, I try to keep bread and pasta and rice to a minimum. Yeah and then I think in Korea people respond really well to like kimchi and soup and rice and rice and meat but like a little bit of meat and a lot of fermented veggies and rice fermented food is good for everybody but Mm -hmm. there was that and I think also saying you know I just want a burger and a salad on the side and I don't want any of the bread that comes on the burger right (laughs) that was (laughs) that's It's always met with, like, strange looks. And I think part of it is overcoming not only talking to the server, but also the peer pressure when you're with a group of people who are like, oh, so you think you're better than me because you're not eating bread? (laughs) Yeah,
1: definitely. You can definitely get some weird looks, especially if it's not something normal to be asked.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess being vegetarian is a little bit more normal, but I feel like people are still, like, Ugh, vegetarian, like now we have to go out of our way, you know?
1: Yeah, it depends where you are, but it can be that. Like in Korea, <laughs> it was challenging for sure.
0: Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> to say
1: the least. <laughs> I This was the time that I really had to be the most flexible mm-hmm. and just kind of accept that I wouldn't always know how something was prepared because I didn't speak Korean very well at all. Mm-hmm and I couldn't always be with somebody who spoke good Korean, and communicating the idea of vegetarianism to most servers was complicated.
0: Yeah. Well, it's very rare in Asia. Besides, like, Buddhists, right. I think you usually don't find people who avoid meat.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, even though there is a Buddhist population there, they're surprisingly unfamiliar with the concept of vegetarianism, at least you know, five years ago they were. Yeah. I don't know how it's changed since then, but there were some vegetarian restaurants uh, like Loving Hut and there were a few Buddhist restaurants that were vegetarian that I went to that were really good and amazing. And the food was very well prepared and they did things in a Korean way that was not prepared with meat, which was really cool because those were some of the few times that I could really feel confident and order something outside of, like, Bibimbap or something.
0: Yeah. You visited me in Guangzhou? Mm-hmm. Did I take you to the Buddhist ve- vegetarian buffet? I can't remember. I don't think I did. I feel like I don't even know if I knew that you were vegetarian at the time, but I feel like definitely always tell people in advance before you see them. Yeah. Because <laughs> they might know a good place. <laughs> yeah, that's also that you, true. They wouldn't go to otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, so Korea, that was a hard couple of months. Yeah. And, you know, as well, if I was with people, they would frequently want to go to Korean barbecue or something, which was always kind of complicated to figure out what to have. Yeah. There was one place that I knew that they always brought, like, this little egg dish, you know? Mm, the kiranjin. Yeah, exactly. And I could order rice on the side, and so I would eat rice and <laughs> eggs.
0: And... <laughs> Yay! Woo! (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, if you don't want to eat something that's been cooked in meat, then that's also, like, you have vegetable options, but they're always cooked with meat on the barbecue, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's also complicated. And there was one
1: time, I guess it was maybe my first or second week, that I went to a restaurant near school, and they had pictures of everything on the menu, and I asked the waitress, I said, does this have meat in it, in Korean? And she said... No. And I was like, okay, it doesn't. And it was like kimchi kimchi rice. And she was like, nope, no meat. But this was before I really understood that there were like more words for meat than just one. And when it came, it was a rice dish and it was filled with like tiny chopped up pieces of ham. Yeah. And I was like, (sighs) you know. And I couldn't really... You know, I could have sent it back, I suppose, but I didn't want to. So this is just a time that I was like, you know what, just suck it up and eat something that's touched meat and you'll live, you know? Right. You can't always be perfect. So I just picked out all the tiny pieces of ham and it took me like an hour and a half to eat that.
0: (gasps) (laughs) It probably would have saved you time to be like, bring this back without ham. (laughs) Yeah, probably. But, yeah, no, it's... I know that in Asia, especially, it's very difficult. I do know that bigger Buddhist communities, it might be easier, but overall, it's difficult. Another thing that I've done before is giving up alcohol and sugar for the month of January. And this is, I think, the best thing to do in this case when you're not eating those things is when it comes to sugar... Making your own things happen, like with grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Definitely. There's also, like, a very big social pressure to drink alcohol. Yeah. Like, when I give up alcohol, people people are like, oh, okay, no sugar. That's great. No alcohol? What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, there was a time
1: for about six months when I was on medication that I couldn't drink alcohol. Yeah. And it changed my social life so much. Like, I didn't want to go to bars with people because, what am I going to do, order three Fantas? Like, I don't think so.
0: I guess <laughs> like seltzer water.
1: I can drink one and then that's enough. Like
0: Yeah. It definitely changes your perspective on your options,
1: mm-hmm. you know.
0: And actually, um, in a lot of places in the Middle East, there isn't any alcohol consumption in public, at least. Yeah. And the result is that there's not much of a nightlife in these places.
1: Yeah. Or it might be more shisha.
0: Yeah. True. So maybe if you have that kind of restriction, you can aim for places that naturally cater to your restrictions.
1: Yeah. Or looking for other types of venues. So I know a lot of restaurants in the West, you know, you drink alcohol with your dinner or something, but... You might seek out, like, a tea shop or something like that. True. Yeah. So when I was studying abroad in Korea, I went with some friends to Tokyo for the weekend, or for, like, five days. Oh, no. And, (sighs) again, I was young. I didn't learn very much, apparently, from Russia, but I decided to... Or I just didn't do any research about what I would be able to eat. And I went with five friends. So six people starts to be a pretty big group. And harder to make decisions and things. And none of us spoke Japanese, so that didn't help. And Japan was not very English-speaking, even in Tokyo. And, yeah,
0: it was surprising
1: to me, but anyway. I found it
0: friendlier to English speakers than Korea was, though.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe... I spoke a little bit of Korean by that point, so I at least had some ability to read and communicate basic ideas. But in Japan, we were all just like, (laughs) (laughs) Um. So I met up with one one Japanese friend came to meet up with us for a day, and he showed us around, and it was great. And we went to a restaurant that was... It seemed good and whatever, but we couldn't see the menu, and we had been looking for a while already for a restaurant that we could eat at. And by this time, there's seven of us. And, you know, being the only person causing people to just, like, trek around looking for a restaurant was kind of, you know, awkward. Yeah. And so we go to this restaurant. We're all seated. We take a look at the menu, and my friend who's Japanese, he's like, There's nothing without fish or nothing, like literally nothing that you can eat. And so we had, I think we'd already gotten water and everything and we had to stand up and leave. And it was so embarrassing. Oh, that's so awkward. It was so awkward and probably a faux pas, but it was like, I literally couldn't eat anything. And I felt so awkward for making like seven people like (laughs) get up from the table. Oh God, it was so awkward. Yeah. I think we ended up at a vegetarian buffet after that, which was really good. That's great. At least I had done that. I had looked up some vegetarian restaurants, but (laughs) I did, you know, then you force like five other people or six other people to eat at a vegetarian restaurant when they maybe don't want to. And
0: yeah, so
1: that I could have benefited from talking to them before about what we might do for food.
0: Yeah. And I mean, coming to the conclusion that it's okay like you said, that maybe you would say, okay, well, on this night I want to go to this vegetarian buffet. Um, you guys find your own thing
1: mm-hmm. because
0: I don't want to be responsible for everybody when it's my decision, you know? Yeah. I mean, you want to you enjoy their, your time with them, but there's nothing wrong with going off on your own and getting a little solo time. For sure.
1: Yeah, I could have done that. I think everybody liked it in the end, but... Yeah. So some places where I've had some kind of mix Experiences would be probably Mexico and Germany, which both, well, Germany more so like the last two times or something that I've been there in Berlin, because Berlin is now like this vegan hotspot. It's just like every other restaurant is vegan and everyone seems to be vegan. So that was really positive. But yeah, even the last time when we traveled to Bavaria after being in Berlin, it definitely got more complicated. I mean, it wasn't so complicated. Like, there were a lot of places that had vegetarian burgers or something like that. But the super traditional places were, you know, meat and potatoes. And that was fine. And there are some things like Käse Schwetzel that are vegetarian (sighs) and super delicious. But you don't want to eat that
0: every meal because it's pretty heavy. (laughs) I might make that this weekend.
1: (laughs) Oh, do you know how to make it? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. I I can teach you how. Yeah. I would love that. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. (laughs) But it it is complicated sometimes in Germany and in some parts of Germany where it's more traditional, I guess. But overall, it's fairly easy. And in Berlin, it couldn't be easier.
0: Yeah, actually, one of my best friends who was a bridesmaid at my wedding... She lived in Berlin for a few years, and Mm -hmm. she's vegan. I mean, that's not why she became vegan, obviously, but I think it was easy for her to be a vegan there. Yeah. It's really nice. It's amazing.
1: I mean, (laughs) if you're a vegan looking for a destination, definitely Berlin would be, for me, Like one of the top places that I've been for eating. So another place that I've had good experiences and difficult experiences is Mexico. I've been to actually some really good vegetarian restaurants in Mexico. Really? Yeah. Well, in Puerto Vallarta, there is one that I've been to a couple times. And it's a buffet and everything is made like ethically and vegan and... Ooh. I don't remember now if it's vegan or vegetarian. But amazing. And so cheap. It was like six bucks for the buffet. Oh, man.
0: You really need to write a blog post on, like, the best vegetarian restaurants you've been to around the world. Yeah,
1: I've been to some really fantastic ones. And actually, even when I go to non-vegetarian restaurants versus vegetarian restaurants or vegan restaurants, almost always I prefer the vegan or vegetarian place because I think they just put, like, a lot more effort into their food and making it taste good and being thoughtful about it. And... A lot of people that aren't vegetarian or vegan who have gone with me to those restaurants agree that that was, like, the best meal of the trip or it's one of the best meals that we had.
0: I think people really underestimate salad. Like, you can have a really, really, really good salad, but if you go to a typical restaurant, it's like, here are all our meat dishes. Here's some cabbage and shredded carrot and a cherry tomato. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Almost every day I eat, like, a salad full of delicious sun-dried tomato and olives. and
1: Yeah. There's some great options. I mean, even, like, they make amazing pizzas or things that you wouldn't yeah. think that would be vegan. Or they put interesting things together. So. Yeah. I, it's worth a try. Even if you're not vegetarian or vegan, usually they have amazing food. Mm, that's cool. Yeah, also in Mexico they have a lot of really good salads or things that are typically vegetarian, even though you think of Mexico as more meat-oriented. I mean, there is a lot of meat for sure, but they also eat a lot of vegetables and things that are very fresh and delicious. Nice. I think that's a good summary for me.
0: Cool. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. Yeah, same to you. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that pretty much sums up our episode on traveling with diet restrictions. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who have been through this as well, so we'd love to get your input on it.
1: Yeah. Do you have different experiences or perhaps other tips as well? And what is your diet restriction? If it's something that we mentioned or something different, uh, we would love to hear what that is.
0: Always. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you prefer. Help your friends subscribe. A lot of people still don't know how to listen to podcasts. So make sure that you tell your friends, tell your wife, tell your children. And
1: follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest, as well as YouTube occasionally. We like to post kind of fun information or funny things on there. So make sure you're following
0: us. And please make sure you leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews really help people find us, because the more reviews we have, the more visible we are on iTunes. A little tidbit maybe you didn't know.
1: Our next episode is going to be about the Basque
0: language. Yes, we're finally going to do an episode on Basque. I know you've all been waiting for a very long time for this, but have no fear. (laughs) Yeah, we talk about it like every other episode or something like that, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're finally going to hunker down and do it, so stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, enjoy your week, everybody. Yeah, thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.
1: Hello. Yellow. I think I lost ya. Welcome to Verizon Wireless. The number you have called is no longer in service.
0: What the fuck? Oh, that's very weird. I wonder if it's like my super old phone...